This episode is brought to you by Zeratech Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys, today I sat down and chatted with John French. Uh, John is many things. He is a civil engineer. He was in the military for a while. Uh, he helps out with the Wounded Warriors in Action Foundation. He also has a product called the French Vis, which is a scope mounting system, which allows somebody to assist somebody who is blind or visibly impaired shoot a rifle. He's a hunter. He's an outdoorsman. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed this one. I hope you guys do as well. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. John, thanks for coming in today. Uh, thank you for having me here. Yeah. Before we came on, we were just talking hunting uh, with your kids, right? And I, and I kind of want to continue that conversation eventually, but I'm curious for you, where did that hunting world begin for you? Did you do it as a kid growing up? Was it always a part of your world? No, actually growing up, uh, I grew up on a farm. Everything was about working on the farm, driving tractor, combines, big trucks, and then uh, playing hockey at the same time. Okay. So I never really had that opportunity. Uh, when I was real young, uh, my parents used to go out to Wyoming all the time and, and go mule deer hunting, elk hunting, and would take us kids along with them. And then uh, when the farming really took off then and the hockey took off, that kind of kind of put a qual to that and okay. stopped to that and and it wasn't until i don't know probably late high school i started picking it up again and then again hockey kind of superseded hunting and then when hockey started dying down and found myself in the up and hunting and fishing and then heading out west like my parents used to do and that's where it, it kind of took off again and it's been on just a great adventure ever since yeah are you from the up originally uh, no actually okay. from between saginaw and bay city okay uh, right, grew up right next to saginaw valley state university my parents and my grandparents had a farm there and so just a farm boy from lower michigan right okay and hockey was a big part of your world you ended up playing at michigan tech yes i did right. have a, i played for about a year and a half i came in under uh uh no brown and then finished up i played another year for bob mancini okay uh, and but then eventually you joined the military. I'm just trying to figure out the timelines of, of that. Or you joined the guard? Was that? Yeah, I did right? everything pretty much backwards. I went to school first. I got a bachelor's and a master's from Michigan Tech in uh, civil engineering, geological okay. engineering. And then uh, when I was about 16 or 17, you know, this is way before the bucket list came out, uh, the movie. I, I had a bucket list and all the things I wanted to do. And uh, long story short, as I, I was 31 years old and I was just checking off the last thing on my bucket list, found myself up in Alaska, uh, outside 125 miles northwest of Iliamna doing a self-guided caribou hunt. Hmm. And it's like, man, this is the last thing on my list is hunt Alaska. Well, what do you do? You pulled out the, the napkin and I started making a new list. And then the way I looked at it is if I were 65 years old, 70 years old, and I look back on my life, if I had one regret, I wish I would have tried this, what would it be? And that's how I started my list. Yeah. And one of the things that was on there is, you know, I always had a great uh, respect for the military. And after 9-11 and always wanting to do more and, and friends I played hockey with, uh, Lee DeForge, uh, and then there's Jerry Harry and, and Tim Hool and Joe Bias for 
you know, local guys. I just wanted, you know, it's like, well, you know, they're pretty tough. I wonder how I can compare to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I discussed it with my wife, joined the military uh, September 17th, 2007. Went to boot camp, became a combat engineer, uh, deployed to, at a combat deployment to 2000, uh, 2008, 2009 to Eastern Afghanistan up in the mountains. Uh, then I had four or five uh, follow-on deployments to Latvia, training up uh, Latvian military and uh, NATO missions over in Latvia. Okay. Um, when you, what was the timeline of you hunting up in Alaska? You said you were 31. You were out of college at that point for... Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, I was, uh, oh man, that was about 2005. Okay. That's when I went to Alaska. But and you had been working professionally for quite a while at that Correct. point. Correct. Yeah, okay. I worked for uh, engineering firm Short Elliott Hendrickson out of St. Paul, Minneapolis. Okay. Um, so when you were there, I'm, I'm just curious because that's a crazy thing to to finish your bucket list and make a new list and whatever else. And and what a better place to do that than on a on a mountainside in Alaska or a hillside in Alaska, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, you look around, there wasn't no sign other than uh, people collecting sheds, caribou sheds and stacking them up and stacking a couple of rocks. There was no sign of any human life anywhere up there. Right. And so it really kind of makes you reflect inward and like, okay, now what do I do? Yeah. You know, and make another one. Right. So have you, cause a lot of what I'm super interested in with this podcast is like the psychology behind your, your, I mean, we call it obsessions. You talk about you, you're into hockey, hunting, you join the military, obviously big parts of your life. And you don't have to necessarily call them obsessions, but big choices, right? Uh, I guess I'm just curious, like in that moment, you were very reflective and internal about it. Like, have you always been that way? Or was it a, was it that hunt that made you be that way? Does that question make sense? Have you always been internal where you're thinking about those kind of big questions? Um, I think sometimes on a journey, you're kind of worried or thinking more about what's ahead and you keep focusing and you keep driving, you take that next next step. Yeah. But then it isn't until once you get there and accomplish it that it's like, okay, well, now where do I go? Sure. You know, it's like when you're hunting out West, you know, it's like, man, I got to, I want to get up to the top and see what's in the next Valley. Right. And then there's always that little bit like, I wonder if I, did I just cut it like a Valley short? And so that just prompts you to keep pushing, pushing, mm-hmm. pushing you to, uh, for that sense of adventure, that obsession that, you know, and, and that's exactly what it is. You know, okay. it's, it's obsession. Right. Yeah. So, but that, again, just thinking about that reflection moment and we can move on. We don't have to focus too much on it, but it just seems like a powerful thing to sit down and say, Hey, I finished my bucket list. Here's my new one. Do you remember, or do you feel comfortable going into what some of the other things that you wrote down on that? that yeah. List? Yeah. Um, so some of the other things I had down there is, uh, you know, I want to have kids. Yeah. Um, I wanted, uh, military was on there. Um, I wanted to go to Europe. I wanted to try hunting in South Africa. Yeah. Um, I wanted to hunt out West a lot more and uh, see what else was on there. You know, a nice spread that I could I could make into kind of like a deer hunting haven, mm-hmm. you know, and, and have food plots and and uh, that, that type of stuff. And that was, that was my list. And so once I got that list, I looked at it and it's like, well, you know, it's gonna be, I'm 31. Um, it's a lot easier for me to join the military now than when I'm, you know, at the time they had the age waiver was from 35, they moved it back to 42 years of age. Okay. So, I was able to get in and uh, with plenty of time to spare. It's a lot easier for me to do it now at 31, 33, uh, when I got out of boot camp 
versus, you know, if I went in at 42. Right. So, and so I just kind of prioritized that and that's that engineering brain and then just kind of took off from there. Yeah. Was it a big deal to, to join the guard? I mean, was it scary? Was it overwhelming? Or was no, it, it just was a... great? Okay. <laughs> it was absolutely great. Uh, you know, you think about all the, all the decisions that you make on a daily basis, like, you know, Hey, what are you going to wear? Well, what's clean, you know, where, what kind of agenda do I have today? Meetings or is it more casual day to day? Um, Hey, what am I going to have for lunch? What I got to pack for lunch? What about, there's so many little decisions, uh, but the military makes that very, very easy for you. You know, oh, Hey, yeah. this is what you have to eat and you only have a certain amount of time to eat it. Mm. Oh, you, you don't know what you're going to wear. We're going to tell you what you're going to wear. We're going to tell you what you're going to do today and what order and how to do it. Right. And, uh, so boot camp, I absolutely love boot camp. It's kind of like McDonald's playland for big kids. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but you talked about maybe you hinted on it now, but earlier, even that, like that sense of adventure, right? That's what brought you up to Alaska. That's what brought you into these different things. Is that also what it is, right? Joining the, the military is almost uh, another adventure. Well, I think uh, more of that, it was, it was a matter of how would I, t- I fit? How would I test up, you know, the, the marketing people for the army? I mean, they sure. had a lot of great slogans, you know, army of one, you know, right. army strong, you know, it's like, well, here I am, you know, uh, a former D one hockey player. I played some semi pro. I love playing with the pioneers here. Uh, for many years and you know I, I thought of myself as a pretty tough guy and yeah. you know, man how do I compare against those guys right it's kind of like stepping over into like a different hockey league sure you know and it's like all right how do I play against those guys how do I stack up and uh also you know it's like I had a like I said a huge respect for you know lead the forge and and the local guard unit and the people that have served that have left their families yeah and it was kind of naive thinking at the time thinking that as myself i don't have any kids i'm married the wife's very very supportive but i don't have any kids if i go maybe somebody without kids or with kids doesn't have to go sure yeah and uh but yeah it turned out it was it was very life-altering it was uh it made you really appreciate a lot of things that we do have yeah and in our in our daily lives that that we take for granted like hunting right so yeah did you and what did you find out you said you wanted to test yourself did you did you get out of it what you expected meaning uh, did you react mentally the way that you anticipated or did you have to overcome some pretty big hurdles but then you came out stronger the other side or what um well when i joined uh you know, and going to boot camp, I was one of the, wasn't the oldest, uh, but I was one of the older ones there and, and already having a college education, you know, they thought I was going to become an officer and I was like, no, I'm, I'm going enlisted, mm-hmm. uh, at first. And it was, it was really eye opening. You know, it, you found a lot of the military sense and the camaraderie in the military, the same way that you do on like a hockey team. Yeah. Everybody's got a job. Everybody's helping everybody out. And, uh, I really appreciated that. Uh, when we went in Afghanistan, we were up in the mountains. So it, it was like, it was literally like hunting out west. It was yeah. great. You know, I, our original orders were to go to Iraq and I'm like, ah, I don't want to be in the city. There's so many unknowns. I don't really care for cities. And then here I am, I'm up in the mountains in Afghanistan and, and with some of my best friends. And I'm like, this is, this is great. Yeah. And, uh, other than, you know, you got to take care of your business and take care of your buddy next year and complete the mission Mm -hmm. and then uh on july 19th 2009 uh, we went out to help a a unit that was out that was under fire and uh we got in a a pretty large uh 
tick or troops in contact. And uh, during this 40, 50 minute firefight, I got hit in the chest with a rocket propel grenade uh, in the front armor. Uh, took off my right elbow. Uh, I got banged up on the little, a little bit on the inside. I was blind for, I don't know, 13, 14 days. Uh, the cornea burns on my eyes. And uh, coming back from that was probably like the big defining moment. You know, you always look for adventure. You always look to, you know, test yourself and uh, to measure yourself on, on what the rest of the world has. And for me, that was probably like one of the lowest points, you know, is leaving, you know, all, all my guys and, and that I serve with, all my friends, uh, you know, over there and then coming back and the rehab to that. You know, I've got an artificial elbow that uh, they they worked on at the Walter Reed and the Mayo Clinic. I got a phenomenal doctor at, at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, and they, I got it, and I stayed in the military. They're going to, oh, hey, yeah, we're going to med board you out. And I'm like, well, I'd like to stay and finish my contract. I told them I'd give them six years, and and it just kind of spiraled. And it's like, well, if you can't do your PT test, you can't do your job, we're going to kick you out. Mm-hmm. One-armed, I figured out how to do it. I've never failed a PT test. I uh, went to designated marksman school, um, learned to fly drones, um, all kinds of really cool stuff. Went, got to go to Latvia a few times and Germany and met a lot of friends and do some training missions over there and you know come back uh, the governor's 20 which is like a state uh, rifle and, mar- and pistol championship shoot down in Grayling uh, we got second and first in that and then started taking people down there and so the the shooting aspect really took off and uh, when, I, when I got medically discharged finally in, in 2018 then it was kind of like well what's next and mm-hmm. But I had my kids were five, seven years old at the time and uh, five, six. And now it's like, OK, well, now it's OK. I got to focus on the family a little bit more and 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 raising them instead of being all over the place. So, right. Right. It's a powerful story, you know, to hear you going through that. Right. That the, that day that that happened as well. But then also to overcome that and come out the other side and say, hey, no, I don't I don't want to walk away. I want to continue and push and pass my PT tests and whatever else. I feel like that speaks volumes to just the, yeah, the character, right? Yeah. I think all of us have it. I mean, you know, it, it reflects on, you know, like, like hockey players, yeah. you know, I think everybody that plays hockey have it, you know, you know, whether whatever league they're in or whatever uh, age group they're in, you know, Hey, you, you break your finger. Guess what? You're, you're trying to figure out how to get that finger in the glove and how to, how to make it work. So you can get back out there. You get cut out while you're on the ice get stitched up and go back out it was just hey you know get back up you get knocked down you get back up and you keep driving forward right and uh that was for me in my life that was kind of like the epitome of you know all right well now what i'm going to do well it's only one thing to do you get back up you keep swinging yeah so yeah and there's something powerful too whatever it is like whatever somebody goes through but i'm saying there's something to me i think about this all the time there's not all the time necessarily but there's something crazy powerful about going whether it's a like a a huge event like you had or even a huge event of losing a family member or whatever else you you can come out the other side i mean you go to like the depths of despair and you can come out the other side a stronger person a more more empathetic person uh you know what i mean a more patient person uh just because you went through those events and then you're more able to to be the rock and the and the support and the leader for the people around you because you've gone through those things. Does that make sense? It- yeah, a little bit. You've come out more determined. Okay. And it's just like, you know, like hunting out west. You know, it's like you put a stock on something or you put many, many hours climbing that, you know, your legs are burning, climbing that mountain 
to get a good glassing uh, point of view up there and, and to see what's on the other side and, and find the animals and you don't find it or you get busted or you just learn from it and you adjust and you, and you work taking account and you, and you make it happen the next time and if it doesn't happen the next time it's the next time after that it's it's that whole determination of what you do when you get knocked down right and uh it's life you yeah. know it happens everywhere you know you, people get laid off well they can stay home and collect unemployment mm-hmm. or they can get back up and hey you know this maybe this is a life calling that you know i really wasn't happy in my job right maybe i'm gonna go try something else maybe this is the point in my life it's all how you kind of react to it and uh, the determination uh, that, that's involved with that. So yeah, do you have? <laughs> excuse me. Do you have a? Uh, again, I talked about you on the hillside, and I was wondering about like the psychology and how internal you are about how you think about this, some of this kind of stuff. But do you have a? Because everything I've uh, heard about you, see online or whatever else, like it just seems like universally, just people really, really appreciate you, right? And and you have to live a certain way and have a certain ethic for that to happen uh and and really even uh talking to my cousin tom he's like just talking about how just so humble willing to help the lowest of the low guy not from a not from a low on a a, no matter what the rank is or what the guy is it sounds like you're willing to help them from every level but i'm just curious do you have a like a ethic or a thing that you grew up learning or is it because of some of these things that you went through that you have that Outlook? Do you have like a higher arching philosophy or do you just live a life of character or what do you? <laughs> well, somebody, some people would call me a character. Already, but <laughs> I think, I think there's two aspects to that question. You know, one, it, it's, you know, that whole birds of a feather sure. kind of thing. And, and the people that I inevitably surround myself with, like Tom Herkus, like the Joe Battisforce, like the Mike Hottamackies, like um, all my friends, Corey Markham, Buster Roberts, you know, all the people that I've been very, very fortunate in my life have been excellent people, very, very uh, community orientated, willing to help anybody. And then, but it, it's all kind of, uh, you know, like that golden rule. You really don't hear the golden rule. Hey, treat others people like you'd like want to be treated. Right. And you really don't hear that much anymore. And then you look at all the people that, that I have in my life, uh, and they're the same way. My wife's exactly the same way. She'll do anything for anybody. Yeah. And uh, likewise, we hope that, you know, uh, well, when I came back from Walter Reed, this is uh, pretty cool. You know, the coworkers were like, well, hey, when you come back, because I came back early, obviously, uh, we're going to have, when you, we know you're coming back in the area, we're going to have a line the streets and we're going to have a parade. I'm like, no, because everybody's still over there. It's not right. Right. And, uh, they're like, well, you don't have a choice. I'm like, well, I, <laughs> you really don't know exactly when I'm coming in there, right? Uh, in the town, so and we purposely came in. My wife brought me back. At, we got in town about seven fifteen, eight o'clock in the morning, right? And uh, it was like a Saturday morning or so, and we got in there and we let people come pick our blueberries on our bushes and stuff. And my father-in-law, we were building, still building his house at the front of our property for him, and we, uh, my wife said, well, I'll eat my my dad's been in the basement the house is probably going to be a mess and and uh like oh, i really don't care i just want to sit down on an actual couch as silly as that sounds and yeah and just breathe just relax and when we got home uh right off the bat you know there we opened up the door and there's fresh somebody delivered fresh blueberry muffins they were still warm that morning yeah and then about nine o'clock you know we we're only there for an hour and knock on the door hey we we just seen you drive in and we gotta you know pick your blueberries we brought you a blueberry pie, uh, city of Houghton. When we pulled in, 
our, we got a pretty good sized yard. The whole yard looked like a golf course. Mm-hmm. It was the Jet Lucchese, it was the Ducky Mackies from uh, City of Houghton. They brought out the mowers and they made sure that our yard was, was perfectly kept uh, through Joe Bakovich and Milton and Tinka Nimi. Uh, we, we made a lot of firewood for older people and then, you know, we'd barter for. Uh, hey, well, we made your firewood with no expectations to get anything back, but they wanted to do something nice for us, so they gave us some vegetables. And hmm. so we had like five or six families, older couples that we make firewood for. Let alone did uh, our friends and the hockey community and the local community make our firewood for four or five years. They made everybody else's wood for them right. for us. Huh. So and you know again it goes into you know the people that you hang around the community that you live in and the morals and the value of those people and you know it, am i different than nobody else no yeah i'm i'm not different i'm just very fortunate that we have the friends and the community and found ourselves where we are in life at this particular time so yeah yeah it's uh <coughs> excuse me it's uh to, to me it just seems like there's a uh it's powerful to hear when you're talking about that and uh, uh, love and appreciation. That's, you got to feel that, hey, when you came back in. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You know, it's you know, file. You know, all you fell in a pile of poop and come out smelling like a rose. Yeah. I mean, it was it was all the the people that I was deployed with. It was all the friends and community here, the hockey community, the old timers. That when I got back, they kind of picked you up and. And, and got you going, you know, Auto Pro, uh, Adam Ryla, you know, he's been excellent to our family and everybody else and the muffler shop and and uh, it, it just, the whole community, you know, is just very, very supportive. And it it kind of makes you want to be a better person, want to makes you, or makes you want to be part of that right. and help out. Yeah. So as far as any kind of philosophy, uh, other than, you know, being raised as a, you know, with the golden rule is, no, it's just, you know, hey, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And and we learned a lot from living up here in the community, and we couldn't have asked for anything better as far as really, I mean, I grew up downstate, but I really grew up in the UP because okay. that's when, you know, the Joe Bakovich and Joe and uh, Margaret Bakovich and, and their friends and all the hockey community, it, it just, that's where we grew up was up here. Yeah, right. And I know it's hard to... Uh especially if you are you know more on the humility side it's hard to look at yourself and say hey logan this is why i've i've done this this and this right or or not not even this is why but this is why people universally like me but for me when from the outside looking in when i see somebody like you that again it seems like just universally people cross paths with you and say wow that's awesome right there's something unique and something special and and i in my head, and again, I can say it maybe because you can't, because it's hard to like. How do you how do you talk about yourself? It goes back to a lot of the the things that you've been through, right? Like you said, the golden rule, but also you've been through a lot of adventure. You've been through a lot of adversity, and I think that is what makes you a better person to the people around you. But like you said, also the people you surround yourself with, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't know, and not that we need to go any further on that. But I just, yeah, just curious where that came from. I guess. But. Yeah, it's it literally, I mean, it's just doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, even when no one's watching, you know, hunter safety, even when no one's watching, Aldo Leopold, mm-hmm. do the right thing even though no one's watching. You know, if if you do something in your life, if you're ever thinking like, eh, maybe, maybe in the gray area, well, hey, if my dad were here and were to catch me right. or my grandpa, 
you know, how, how bad would they smack you up alongside the head and straighten you out pretty quick? Right. And right. if there's any question that, yeah, he might, yeah, guess what? You shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. And look at the outlook, you know, is it, what's, who's it bettering? Is it bettering? You know, there's no problem with bettering yourself, but mm-hmm. if it benefits everybody as a, as a whole, that's, that's how to live. Yeah. You know, it's not about, about you. It's being that unselfishness that that's the way that you should live. Yeah. So. Right. And so we, uh, quite a bit before we hopped on, we were talking hunting and even just now here we were at, you said that you grew up a little bit hunting, but then hockey took president precedence. Right. But you're pretty huge into like firearms, building firearms, shooting stuff like that. Right. And I'm curious what came first, the reintroduction into hunting or the, the firearm side of things, or is that a, uh, my dad always, uh, even though he was a farmer, he always had his FFL. Okay. And so I've always been around firearms and my dad had quite the collection, but, uh, you know, when hockey started slowing down, I had that time okay. to go out and shoot. And, and then especially in the military, you know, and the, and the courses that we took, small arms, master gunner course, designated marksman, um, master uh, gunner course, all these, mar- you know, it just kind of sucks you in and it just leave it left me wanting more information. Yeah. I mean, I have a hard time passing up a, a good book that talks about, <laughs> again, it might be the engineering about ballistics, you yeah. know, people just probably put them to sleep, but you know, I'm just fascinated by doing one thing here and then thousand yards down the road, you know, it's going to, it's going to hit a target with all the different factors are 500 yards down the road. You know, it's just, we've got a thousand yard range, uh, at the house. Uh, we have E type steel silhouettes that we can go out, we can move around, we can keep our skill set up. And, uh, I have uh, local police. I have uh, some of the DNR officers come out, and they can use it. It's free. Just come out if they can. They can keep up on their skill set. I have at it. You know? Yeah. So, but I know I'm just very interested in that. I'm interested in the engineering and the thought and and the science behind everything. And so that kind of uh, my wife, uh, she moved up here. Uh, we we got married up here at the D Stadium. Actually, mm-hmm. it was awesome. And. Uh, we started shooting sporting clays and she, she grew up in the city of Saginaw and she had never had that opportunity to get out and shoot firearms. And, uh, she started, she'd come out, we were dating at the farm. She'd come out, we go shoot woodchucks and stuff at the end of the day. But when we got up here, it was, it started off with shooting sporting clays, sporting clays turned into pheasants, which turned into turkey, which turned into deer, which turned into, uh, elk and antelope and buffalo. And she's been all over the place and the adventures and the support that she has had and so many good memories that we're making. And then, uh, my dad gave, uh, me some great advice and he said that, uh, I was just about ready to graduate college and. He's like, well, what do you want to do? And, you know, it's like, well, here I am pulling out my bucket list. Well, I want to get a good job. I want to have a Jeep. I want to have a truck. I yeah. want a nice boat, four-wheeler. And he's like, well, you know, is there anything you want to go, a place you want to see? It's like, yeah, I really want to go out west. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what. If you can, if you don't have the money, I'll give you a loan and uh, to get out west. And so when I graduated in 98, I jumped in the back of my pickup truck with a cap and my camp and stuff. And I just took off and went. Hmm. And uh, I went and seen stuff, but his advice was, you know, if you're single, go do what you want to do. Yeah. And then when, when you get married, if your wife's interested and you still like to do it, go do it with her, and it'll be a totally different experience. And then when you have kids, if you guys are both into it, uh, still into it, take your kids out there, and it'll you'll see different things, you'll experience it in a different point of view. Mm-hmm. And man, I mean. 
after every time we go out west, every time we go hunting anywhere, Florida, Maine, you know, where Alaska, wherever, every time that we take the kids or take somebody new that hasn't experienced that, you get to see it through their eyes. Yeah. And it, it's just a different view of everything. And it just makes it that much better. Yeah. You know, so. Forrester Research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done, Zeratech Software Development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. What was that uh, when you went out west that first time? Was that literally your first time ever going out west, or as a kid did you go out there as a no, family trip? No, as, as I was, uh, I'll never forget when I was the last time I went out as a kid. Uh, we went out for Christmas to see some uh, friends that my parents had hunted with for you know ten, fifteen years in a row back in the late sixties, seventies, and so went out to see them. Family friends, one of them passed away. Went out for the funeral and. And uh, we ended up doing some coyote hunting out there. And then on the way back, I mean, I loved it. I absolutely just hooked on it. And my dad, he's with his FFL, he's like, oh, well, when we get back, we talked about guns. And that, that was kind of like that bond, that huh. little extra that, you know, you know, him and I had. Him and I were going to do something together, you know. And he's like, man, 30-06, you're going to get a 30-06. It's going to be a pump. Um, when we get back, they used to have this big uh, book of guns called the Buckeye Sports. I don't know if it's still around, but that's where, you know, dealers could order firearms from. And so we'll get that and we'll, we'll look it up and you're going to be 12. You're going to take hunter safety. And, and here we go. And it's like, finally, you know, it's like that special bond yeah. you know, with, with, with your parent. And uh, it never, it never materialized, you know, and, and so I always kept wanting more, wanting more. And then, which is ironic is when later on in life, I started going out West and I started hunting and I drew a cow elk tag for Wyoming. And, uh, whenever my wife and I went out, you know, it's like every hour he's calling, Hey, where are you at? What, what's going on? You know? And it's like, dad, we're about an hour down the road from last place. We're still in Minnesota. You right. know? And, uh, so I drew this cow elk tag. My wife couldn't come out and, uh, my dad just hundred different questions. Where are you going? Where are you staying at? What do you, you know, which rifle are you taking? You know, everything that we do as hunters, you know, that's, that's probably part of the fun is the prepping. And, uh, finally I asked my mom, I'm like, Hey, if I ask dad, you think he'd go with me? And so him and I went out together and it was, uh, it's not quite dumb and dumber, mm-hmm. but so many <laughs> antics, you know, that, that happened on there. You know, my dad, uh, he started losing his eyesight a little bit. And uh, he had a uh, little bit of the shakes, but he, uh, yeah, it was just a great trip. You know, I mean, it, it's a typical, hey, he was on uh, medication where it made him urinate quite a bit, you know, like more frequently. Right. And uh, so he's like, hey, 
pull over here you know yeah there's you know it's seven o'clock eight o'clock there's nobody around and he's like i really got to go and i can't can't wait yeah and so i kind of stretch him out as long yeah. as he you know making him really you know <laughs> kind of urge me to stop and finally i'd stop and he'd go to the back of the truck and he'd be doing his business and stuff and then i'd slowly just kind of put the truck in neutral and go about 20 30 feet down the road start yeah. honking the horn and right. you know and just just comical stuff like that and all the stuff he did to me on that trip and you know it, it's just you know those memories those adventures and but and it all started probably going out west with my mom and dad when they used to take us as a kid yeah. those kids and take us to ontario fishing and way back in the you know six seven hours from the nearest paved road we set up a tent and portage our boats in and that's what we're i'm trying to give our kids yeah you know and i think we turned out pretty good my wife and i and uh i just want to give that sense of adventure to those kids as right. well yeah for sure the so when i graduated high school uh, we, we were talking before we got on graduated on friday went with my friend carl and there was quite a few other ones of us but anyways went north dakota on monday and it was I, the independence and, and having to provide for yourself and pay your own rent and go your own way and it felt like even though i mean we had cars and cell phones whatever else it felt like you're explorers heading west you know what i mean uh, metaphorically or whatever else either way in my head this is a grand adventure you know and it, it like I probably had it before that, but either way, since then, I've always had this thing where I just, yeah, love the West, love going on adventures and same things. Want, I want to instill that in my kids. We went out on a huge loop last fall, uh, took them. I mean, they're four, they were three and one at the time. They're not going to remember it, but it still feels like at a young age, you're still instilling those, uh, yeah, those, that adventurous mindset in them. And then that will continue on as long as you as a parent are continuing that on as well. But yeah, there's something about it. The adventure side of things is like, yeah. If you can instill that in your kids, I think that goes a long ways. And, you know, we were told by a few different uh, uh, friends and stuff like that that had kids when my wife and I didn't have kids. And they're like, oh, man, that's great you're going out there because when you have kids, you're not mm -hmm. going to be able to do that. You know, I think a lot of people have heard that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like, ah, okay, challenge accepted yeah. kind of thing. And and it is different, you well, know, traveling out west with kids, you know, you, you know, you got to adjust your, you know, like right now to get out to Wyoming. We know that uh, it's a 21 hour drive to where we want to go. And if I drive for two hours and the wife drives for two hours, we can go drive straight through. Right. And we'd still have enough energy to go hunting or at least scouting that day when we got out there. And with kids, well, that, that 21 hours, you're going to have to stretch that to maybe two, two and a half days. And every single park that we'd pass with sleds or slides and, and merry-go-rounds, we're stopping and having mm. a good time. And it was a great time, right? you know? And then as they evolve, we realize we can go a little bit farther. And, uh, you know, hey, maybe we should travel at night. Like little babies, they travel at night when they're used to sleeping. So yeah. as soon as they go to bed, man, it's like, okay, game on. They're in the back. They're out. Let's go. Yeah. You know, haul ass. But uh, it it was uh, there's there's just ways to adjusting to everything, and it's cool. You know, we talked a little bit before the show about the first time that my oldest son Andrew uh, seen you know the inside of a deer. You know, he my wife and I went out. We were up uh, near Ranchester, Buffalo, Wyoming, and uh, we shot. And we just go out there meat hunting mm -hmm. and prov provide uh, for the family. And and uh, my wife shot a, a mule deer. And then we took our pictures with the kids and, and then she'd take the kids for a walk while I took care of the bloody stuff. And she came back a little bit early and here it is, my, my youngest boy who was about, I don't know, had to been about four or five, somewhere around in there. He walked around the corner and here I am up to my elbows and, and blood and guts. And, 
and you know, like we talked about it, it's right. like a defining moment. It's like, well, man, do I, you know, hey, why don't you go over here? You know, kind of redirect them or just kind of play it off like it's nothing. And I played it off as nothing. And, you know, once the kids figured out where the meat comes from, they don't waste any meat. And uh, when I was, by the time I was done uh, gutting and quartering that, that deer it was you know the kids over there popping swedish fish in my mouth and dad what's that what's that right and uh ever since then you know it's you know our our whole vacation our family vacation has been revolving around going out going hunting going fishing uh making those adventures for the kids just like my parents gave to me a long time ago right you know so there is something too even yeah all those conversations are things that I'm thinking about all the time is like, how do I engage my kids? Right. Because that's selfishly, that's what I'd love for them to do. And also, like you said, there's a ton of lessons they learn that apply to life and whatever else in the outside world that yeah, apply to life, but how do I engage your kids, but also not forcing it on them and being okay. Hey, if this is something we do as a kid, but you don't in the future, like that's okay. You can do your thing, but still just thinking about all that kind of stuff. But you were talking about how seeing somebody else's first trip out West, for example, or first hunt or these moments where you're, you can live through them. I've had a lot of those experiences where we've gone hunting out West and take, yeah, family members or, or relatives for the first time. And they, you could tell, I mean, even one of my uncles, he's like the first trip we went out there, he left with a tear in his eyes. Like that was one of the most memorable things I've ever done in my life. Like, you know, just crazy. Yeah. How powerful I think those experiences can be. Yeah. You can, you can buy a nice brand new hunting backpack. You can get a new car, you can get a new boat or whatever, but that doesn't really stand the the test of time. It doesn't last. Right. But what does last uh, that uh, we learned is those memories. You know, when you're you're laying in a hospice bed and you can look back, hey, remember that time? Yeah, man, that was great. I remember I pulled away with my dad while he's peeing on the side of the road, you know. Yeah. God, that was funny. Right. Yeah, I remember <laughs> he slammed my face in a pie that way. I was like, Oh hey, smell this pie, it smells so good. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like you know, and, and that's the things that you can look back and that they don't rust. Those memories don't break. Yeah. And uh it just makes you smile, feels good inside. And there's just so much to do and see in this world. And you mentioned about, you know, getting kids in, involved and, and exposure. And I think my wife and I, we figure that it's our job as a good parent to expose them to it. And when the, our boys were getting younger and it was a great workout for hockey, we had a backpack mm-hmm. that you could put the Kelty backpack, put the kid in. We got these little Mogley earmuffs and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And we're out in South Dakota hunting pheasants. And when the kid wasn't sleeping in the backpack, which gave you a great work and <laughs> workout as far as the legs and the hip flexors. But, you know, he was awake. He was laughing at the dogs working out in front. And then every now and then he'd put his hands in front of your eyes and yeah. giggle because it's funny. <laughs> And then that turned into, you know, hey, we, it's just time spent and that's just the way things do it. And if the kids don't, you know, as they get older and they start developing their own personalities and stuff and they start hanging out with their kids and if that's not a priority, you know, I think that's when they get to make that choice. Yeah. And, you know, things take precedent. You know, for myself, it was hockey and it was for it was working on the farm. And for kids up here, maybe it's hockey. Maybe it's, well, I'm going to spend more time playing basketball or football or, or whatnot. You know, they always got that thing that they can come back to. Yeah. And they always have that that relationship, that adventurous relationship with their parents. Like, hey, 
you know, remember that time we went fishing up in Canada and um, mom snuck it onto the, they happened to have like a logging two-holer down there. Right. And uh, my buddy Adam Wolf and I were sleeping and we heard her go down and it's two o'clock in the morning. We thought it'd be funny to take a pine branch while she's in one side. We quietly opened up the door and stuck the branch up the other side and just yeah. scared the living hell out of her. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's stuff like that that, you know, it's it's life you know there's so many good things in life to look forward to and do and see and having the kids outdoors it's a big world out there it's it's absolutely huge when you get out west and you see miles and miles and miles you realize how really insignificant you really are yeah and then when you take in you know like being deployed and having seeing different parts of the world it's like man this the, the world is so much to offer it's huge um but if you can if you can make it in that big world, if you can, if it's raining or if it's cold and you're out West, but you can get that campfire going, you know, all right, Hey, you've got skills. Yeah. You know, you've got a shot, you've got, you know, it just builds confidence. So, you know, like I said, we were talking about earlier, you know, when we pull in uh, someplace, we're going to camp out West. One of the first things the kids do is, Hey, we having a fire. We're cooking over fire. Yep. We're cooking over fire and the boom, they're gone. Right. And they're coming back with tinder. They're coming back with, with, uh, different fire starter materials and, and wood. And then, you know, it, if they can live in that and if they can start on their own fire, if they can harvest their own meat and collect their own fish, you know, and fillet them and cook them, you know, think the confidence that they gain from being able to provide for themselves when they go to school and somebody's picking on them or they're not part of the cool group in school or what whatnot, it, it means less right. that uh, they're not part of that clique. It means, it means more that, hey, well, that, that's great, but you know, can they make a fire? Can, right. they, can they quarter a deer? Can they skin a deer? You know, can, they, can they catch a fish? Can they flick? You know, and it's it just that. You know, it's like it kind of gives them the broader view of life and of the world around them rather than just this little focused area, this little microcosm. Yeah, for sure. And then to add on that, is there something where I felt this person, I'm curious about yourself. Okay. Pandemic hit and people are panicking about toilet paper and paper towel and whatever else. And and, and thinking about shortages on the shelves for me growing up in that kind of a world and feeling confident on that level, you don't feel any stress because you're like, no matter what, I'm okay. You know, did you feel that? Yeah. You know that you can provide, you know, if, you know, if, if life went to hell in a handbasket, you know, and the zombie apocalypse or whatever (laughs) came coming down, it's like, Hey, I'm good. You know, I know that I can protect my family. I know my family can protect themselves and protect me. Um, and I, I know that we can, we can sustain, right. You know, we'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely fine. And it's a great feeling. And once you get that down and you start building that confidence in your life and being able to be outdoors, then I think it that really kind of throws a little gas on that whole adventurous side. Like, yeah. wow, okay, well, where's the next big adventure? Right. You know, and okay, what do I feel up to? You know, like uh, for me, I think, the, you know, the ultimate, you know, some of the big ones on my my bucket list is I want to do a Yukon moose hunt. Yeah. You know, I'd also like to, it doesn't have to be a world-class bull elk, but uh, I'd like to get a really nice bull elk. Yeah. You know, and throw up there, you know, like a doll sheep. I mean, that's kind of like the epitome of being in shape and determination and the, the environment and mother nature against you. And it's like, okay, well, bring it on. You know, yeah. it's like, if I ever get that chance, I'm going to take that. Right. You right. know, and 
there's so much in life that that's unwritten you know so we can we can kind of write that and you know again we talked about uh family members you know keeping in shape that are older so that they can continue to hunt and go have these adventures you know that's the same way i think you know all of us that are getting a little older and get a little pudgy it's like well i gotta cut back on the, right. <laughs> on the snacks and yeah I, I gotta start walking I, you know every year we, we're starting to backpack we've been backpacking for a while yeah I'm trying to get in shape for out west you know throwing that weight on and and doing a little bit more shooting we shoot all year long at our house but you know it's like gearing up yeah you know? no having something like that like you said that pushes you to stay in shape like that even for me personally like i know for a fact i'm confident i will a i've been working at it like if i'm not eating something for me in my head it's because it'll help me meals around together if i'm going walk or exercise or hike ripley or whatever it's all to get better and get better and better shape for that eventual hunt that i'm going to go on and i know that will again that that happens in a year but also like you said that happens over the course of a life like i believe because of mule deer hunting i'll be in way better shape at age 50 compared to if i didn't have something like that and that's yeah. it's kind of like a side shoot too i mean you know you mentioned hey i've got this hunt coming up right you know so that that's your goal yeah. so you know you can have the worst day at work but you know when you you know need that little mental break it's like you think about out west you mm -hmm. think about okay i gotta do this to get ready for this hunt uh this is gonna be great i can't wait to go and then it kind of you know gives you a little bit more energy gives a little more determination to get through that rough day at work um but it also teaches you you know it's a life lesson you know hunting is and that you have to work yeah. you have to work the harder you work you know they got the saying it's better be lucky and good but you know you kind of make make your own luck with preparation yeah and uh you know it, it, it's that whole hey you want you want a nice boat you want a nice truck guess what you got to work for it yeah you want to be a student you got to work for it you want that nice muley you got to work for it you know it's just life and it's just you know, having those goals and those dreams and what you want to accomplish that that fuels it and then you throw adventure into it and that's like throwing gas on the fire right right and that's what gives you that that obsession to, hunt, <laughs> to be outdoors to fish and yeah for sure it's uh they talk about the adventure side and i talked about myself moving west with my friend carl at age 18 and we were pioneers heading west do you like to envision that if you were in those days you would have been one of those guys heading west the first type daniel boone <laughs> lewis and clark type stuff or no you know i don't think i went back that far okay. um, one of my favorite uh i got a lot of really good movies i like but jeremiah johnson yeah. i think that's you know for an old, you know it's robert redford in the 70s and you think okay what kind of bell bottoms are we wearing today yeah. <laughs> but uh you know you see that and that kind of gives you you know just a rough idea maybe what it was like it kind of gives you you know that persona in your mind that but uh it's ironic you say that though because like we, we we've got a big camper we take around and uh we've got wall tents we got all kinds of ways to sustain ourselves out west but uh taking the camper out just seems you know we can pull over in a walmart parking lot plug into a light and sleep for six seven hours and get up go inside buy some fresh muffins and boom we're on the road the next day yeah um and it kind of reminds us like when we see the western shows it's like you know my wife and i were talking they have a lot of time to talk in the truck it's like man it's it's kind of like a, a modern day stagecoach or a modern day covered wagon we're yeah. heading out west you know and all you know everything we need to survive is in here you know might have a bag of oreos that yeah. we really you know <laughs> but uh yeah it's yeah. it's it's just a modern day adventure every time we go someplace and do something and so my wife and I, she's, she's awesome. She's, she's just one tough woman. And 
a while back while we were dating, we decided that, hey, no matter what we do, you know, if there's anything that one of us wants to try, you know, there's no no hesitation there's no regrets yeah you know the other one's going to support my wife she wanted to be a, a veterinarian she went to tech for a biological sciences got her degree and she's waiting to get in the uh, veterinary school and it's super hard to get in and after i mean after five years four years she got on the waiting list and she she was three eight three nine something like that at tech yeah and uh, so she started doing other things to kind of she went to vet uh, vet tech school try to promote herself and then after a while she's like you know, I think I'm gonna go into nursing hmm. you know, I know it's a different similar but I'm gonna pop over to this and it's like fine no problem we'll take care of it we'll 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 get it done and and so later on in life like I went in the military she went into nursing mm -hmm. and uh, there's absolutely no regrets you only get one time you only get one moment in time at that exact point in time so make the most of it yeah you know yeah the uh, I want to ask you about that doing something later because that's something I'm working through in my head right now but even thinking about the uh, you guys in the modern day stagecoach whatever else right you're like the, <laughs> yeah. you're like the modern day <laughs> the drifter, covered right? wagons the, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I, again, I, I really enjoyed the out West. I love it out there. When I went out there the first summer, I came back to tech and me and my friend, Pat, we were, uh, both went out there that summer, came back and felt like we were cowboys. And one of our English classes, they were talking about the cowboys and we got our professor to agree that the North Dakota oil field workers were the modern day cowboys. Anyways, we were all pumped. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it was just a, a side note there, but I am thinking about, okay, so in my head, I'm 28 years old. Uh, there's a, a point where it's like, it felt like either all your development, your learning. And I know this, I know the answer to the question almost, but like, if you're going to go to school, you're going to join the military, you're going to do nursing. It feels in my head, there's like this pressure, like that had to happen in this window from 18 to 24. Like you can't go back later. And I know that's not true, but I'm just, did you work through that at all? Like, did it feel like, Hey, I'm 31. What am I joining the guard for? Or, or did your wife as a nurse, did she feel like there's that, that pressure? Does that make any sense? That, yeah, a little bit. You know, okay. it's like, I think everybody has like the doubts, like, ah, is this really the right move for us in our life right yeah. now? But then look at the other side of the coin is, you know, next week and you're enduring whatever job that you don't like or uh, whatever's going on. It's like, you're always going to wonder. Yeah. You're always going to like, man, I, I wonder what it would have been like if I'd done that. Right. Um, and you're always going to have that. So there's two ways you can, you can do it and say, you know what? Maybe that wasn't, I didn't do the right thing, right. but at least, you know, yeah that that not knowing that you know all right if i just went one more ridge over yeah is there some kind of you know big huge bull elk or mule deer in that next pasture right you know that next valley you know and i guess you know for me i guess it's a it's all up to the individual man i want to go yeah you know i don't want to i don't want to sit back and i wonder wonder what would happen if i gave a little bit more effort yeah. if i would have just followed that dream mm -hmm. and yeah, admittedly it, it things don't always work out but you always learn something pick something up along the way you, you made that stock you got busted by the wind hey next time i guarantee you're not going to make the same mistake right you know and that that's life yeah learn and live yeah yeah, there's again just something I'm working through myself. Is that there's a part of me that is considering like finishing my undergrad and and going to uh, again I talk about psychology. That's what this for me is all about. I love the psychology that side of things and considering that. And it might be crazy. And there's a part of me that's like, why would you do that if you've got three kids at home and you know you should just take the current thing that's safe and secure and whatever else. But again, it, I know it's not based in truth. But there's a part of me that feels like you can't do that at an older age. Uh, 
and I know at age 40, I'm gonna look at myself at 28, you're just a young pup, right? But yeah, anyways, just things I'm working yeah. through. Yeah. Well, it, you, you kind of nailed it though too. And, and the age thing is a huge factor. Yeah. And I think uh, everybody that everyone's getting older, but as you get a little bit more senior year in years, you know, you realize that man, uh, things that used to take me a couple hours to do, I can still get it done in that same amount of time, but man, I'm sore the next day or yeah. Hey, I, I, I get more enjoyment on doing stuff by taking my time a little bit more, you know, those two hours worth of working on the, the motorcycle or working on the tractor. Hey, it, it takes me like a day now, mm -hmm. but you know, I listen to the radio and sit back and it, it's a nice day out and the boys help me and it takes a longer, but it, it happens. But yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of young kids. I'm a president of the CCJHA coach in the C local junior hockey association. And uh, you see a lot of kids that, that come out and I give them the same advice. They're 16, 17 years old. Well, I didn't get drafted to a junior A organization or I didn't. I'm like, well, who cares? Right. Go to the camp. Send them a letter. Go to the camp. And, wow, you know, my first year playing junior A hockey, it wasn't what I thought or, hey, I didn't do as well as I thought or, hey, it was really rough. I got sent down to the junior B or junior C or whatever. But at least you're there. Right. You know, when you hit, you know, 20, 21 years old and you can't play anymore, now you can kind of go into the next phase of your life. You know, you've exasperated that opportunity. Right. But you know how that that chapter ended. You know how that ended. Yeah. And I, for me personally, it's not knowing, not, you know, man, I, and that, that kind of goes into the military too. I wonder how I would have stacked up. And I know how that ended. I know that. You know, I did well in the military. I like to think I did well in the military, and I enjoyed it. I think I, I helped a lot. Right. And but at the same point, I pushed myself. I became stronger, and then with uh, being injured overseas, you know, I got more mentally uh, tougher, a lot more resilient. And uh, one of the things going through, uh, I got sent to a master resiliency course. Hmm. You know, after the fact. And uh, my buddy Chris Bates, a local here, he's a great guy. He, at the time, we thought we were being punished by the military for like, uh, so we were voluntold, hey, you're going to this master resiliency course. And it was like, hey, you're going to, you know, we're going to be sitting around holding hands, singing Kumbaya. And we got down there. And there's a lot of things that they were training us to help people with and help people to be more resilient. Huh. But it, in return, it was like doing the self reflection thing, it's like, holy cow. This is why I have such an adamant thing on, hey, I got to be on time, Yeah, you know, and somebody that's not always on time and that kind of bugs me. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that's more of a me thing than a them thing because they didn't have that experience or that drilled into them. Sure. Like I did. Right. And so it, it's, you know, I just, it's a me thing, not a them thing. You got to relax, you get through it. Um, and yeah, you know, it just, uh, it made me more resilient getting injured and, uh, I just have you know, great respect for life and all right, we're here for so long. What are we going to do? And what are we going to leave when we, when we go? Yeah. You know? Right. What's the, that course, do you mind getting into that? I'm curious what that's like master resiliency. It teaches you resilience, but more through learning about other people or what? It, no, yeah. it's uh, it was, and the, it's something the the military, uh, while it started out, uh, I believe, uh, I can't remember uh, Dr. Jennifer's name. She was a Sergeant first class. She taught it for the state of Michigan, the Michigan army national guard. And the whole thing was to get soldiers more mentally and uh, emotionally resilient. 
you okay. know, and I don't know if it's like a preemptive thing for like PTS sure. or, you know, the adversity of being overseas away from your family, being in an austere environment and being able to keep the families together while they're, you know, separated. And then also with the integration, I think the thought was that if we train would be emotionally and mentally tougher and being a self awareness of what, what's going on that they can pump the brakes um, before there's a big argument before there's a blowout. Yeah. It kind of mentally and, and emotionally stops you and like, okay, let me reevaluate this before I just go ahead and jump off right. this cliff. You know, um, <coughs> uh, and so anyways, it was started out in Pennsylvania and okay. so the military started sending these uh, soldiers to this master resiliency to bring back to the unit. And then every month we'd go have, do a certain chapter, a couple chapters and uh, try to make them more mentally tougher so mm-hmm. that they don't give up so that they keep persisting through these things and uh it's a lot of things it's like man well, I, I've, it's always the way that we grew up but there's always these little tricks like uh sleeping at night you know if you have a hard time sleeping at night and you can't stop your brain from from shutting down or, or from keep going sorry and yeah. you know grab a piece of paper Think about the five best things in your life. Yeah. You know, think about your kids. Think about your wife. Think about hunting out west, having that opportunity, uh, an upcoming trip. Uh, hey, I just bought that new bow that's out. Or, man, I really shot. It could be something as, hey, I held the door for a lady and she looked at me and, and truthfully looked at me and said, man, thank you. Yeah. That, you know, changing somebody's day. Put that on a piece of paper, write it down, put it on your bedstand. Huh. And, you know, you'll you'll sleep a little bit better. Um, different breathing techniques. And, you know, again, you know, you think it's like, oh, it's going to be a kumbaya. It was so applicable to life. Yeah. And, uh and it's one of those things if you can teach it you're you kind of know it a little bit better right and it, it, it kind of goes back and forth you can teach it a little bit better also if you can do it and i think you know that's i think with with some of the younger kids these days there's so many so much crap in this world yeah and you know they need to you're going to hit it you're going to get hit no matter what you're going to lose a game you're not going to make a team you're going to fail a test you know guess what you know get back up and this is you know if we can give them the tools to do that you know they're going to be better people as a whole we're going to have a better society better community as a whole and uh maybe we won't have the depression issues that are out there right so yeah no, i'm super curious about that class and you broke down some of the things but are there some are, are there some other big picture things that you learned through that uh, uh, of a techniques or, or things to think about or how to self-reflect or yeah, they have a, it, they kind of do it in like a pyramid and they've got like a big broad base and it's just different ways to uh, emotionally check yourself. Like, for instance, uh, if you've had a bad day at work mm-hmm. and you're, say your spouse comes home and she's all excited about, hey, I've got, you know, I've got, I got this coupon or hey, I got a call, I got a $50 gift certificate and she, or something happened. And even though in, you're kind of self-absorbed on man i had a crappy day this happened this happened this happened and rather than just automatically dismissing it yeah you know she's trying to share a little bit of what she has that that excites her that makes her happy with you Hmm. and rather than just shutting her down wow that's great but this is what happened in my life overshadowing somebody yeah you know and just a lot of techniques that like when things are happening it's like oh hey we we heard about this. I you know I'm I'm better off just 
you know, I want to listen, you know, or, hey, I got this great pair of shoes or for <laughs> probably for my our spouse, it's like, hey, I got this awesome deal on a great pair of hunting boots, you yeah, know, right. it's like, really? Yeah. That's all you need is a new pair of boots, you know, right, yeah. but it's like, well, I'm excited about it. And so, you know, it's just kind of training yourself to, to pump the brakes and be more cognizant of what's important to people that you really care about. Okay. So it, it's a great course. Um, big old binder on it. Huh. I talked with uh, Finlandia University hockey players about it. Yeah. And uh, I, I hope it did some good with them because everybody hits adversity and, you know, it's just power through it. Right. Take that next step. Keep keep marching along. Keep rocking. Yeah, for sure. And then did you, uh, what's your involvement? You, you mentioned you went on a turkey hunt with uh, Wounded Warriors. Is that right? Or something? Or what's the and you've done some different hunts with different military members and stuff like that what's that whole picture look like for you yeah actually I've, i'm going on uh my 10th year 11th year okay uh with uh, wounded warrior in action foundation okay and it's a foundation uh that's started by a special operations colonel lieutenant colonel down out of florida okay that when he retired he got a boat and he started he seen some of his buddies that were injured and he took them out on the boat fishing yeah. and realize the healing power of sitting around a campfire of just going out and fishing. You don't have to talk about anything, right. just going yeah. out and fishing, getting your mind off everything, getting clear, setting those goals, getting that passion, that obsession uh-huh. and uh, giving that back, putting that back into that individual that uh, might be lacking for a little bit of direction or, or trying to figure who all, who they are mm-hmm. and how they fit into to the rest of the world. Uh, once their military service is done or they're they're uh they've been injured and how to get back up on that horse how to be resilient yeah and uh so i started uh my buddy that i got, was injured with in the same truck Derek van buren he actually found it online when we were at walter reed and uh he did it he went on the the first event and then all of a sudden he's like frenchy you got to do this yeah and so i got involved and then the I got, he's like, I got this call. I'm like, hey, we're, we're doing a, looking at a new event up in uh, Montana. We're going to go to the Smith River. We're going to do a fly fishing event. Nobody's been up there to do this. These people want to put it on. And so, boom, I'm up in, you know, north of Sulphur Springs, Montana, hmm. and fly fishing on a world-class trout stream on a private ranch that just happens to butt up. It was phenomenal, just life-changing. And so then I went to uh, uh, hunting and fishing guide school in Maine, hmm. with a Pitlock, Maine, mm-hmm. and went through that course. Um, and then I've been doing it ever since. I've been anywhere between three to five events a year. Uh, we've got one coming up, uh, world-class walleye fishing event out of on Lake Erie, Ashtabula, Ohio. We've got, uh, there's myself and a, another guide associate, Tim Spence. We've got 10 Purple Heart veterans coming in. and. The, it's a great organization 93 out of 93 cents out of the dollars spent on that soldier yeah so if you're a wounded vet and we get you you know we kind of we've put the hook in you we're trying to get you out of your bubble we're trying to get some kind of passion that adventure give you some goals like and we're just trying to make you take that first step out of where your comfort zone and uh so we'll pay we pay if you got to take a taxi or an uber to the the airport, we pay for it. Yeah. You got extra luggage, we pay for it. That plane ticket, we pay for it. Your license, we pay for it. Everything. And um, so we get them out there. And it's people that that don't want to get out of their, their comfort zone. It, it provides that opportunity. And once the hardest part's getting them out of their house and getting them on that plane and getting them up there. We had a, uh, I'll, I'll go back to that. Uh, so 
the fishing event, the fly fishing on the Smith River in Montana did go through. And I was fortunate enough, I had uh, Air Force veteran from the Cobar Towers uh, terrorist attack. Mm -hmm. I had a Marine, a younger Marine that was in uh, Fallujah. I had an older Marine. Uh, he was a Glenn Stawaz. He's 82 years old. He's a Korean War vet, Purple Heart veteran. And then I had uh, a young Army specialist that was a truck driver in Iraq that got blown up. And uh, her PTS was so bad. She, she was out of Florida, or California, excuse me. And her her life just fell apart. She she had a hard literally had a hard time leaving her apartment. Uh, her husband left her because you know she's no fun to be around and she's always on edge and, and and grumpy. And the kids are taking effect. And the mom stepped in. She she lost uh, uh, the soldier lost two jobs. She couldn't keep a job. And finally, again, it's that whole resiliency. It's that whole well, what do I do next? She found uh, the Wounded Warrior in Action in the back of a Purple Heart magazine, and she called and she got signed up. So this girl, she had the the strength and the, the to go someplace she's never gone before, do something she's never been with people she's never known, mm -hmm. and it it's. I mean, she is literally. We were five hours, six hours from the Bozeman, Montana airport, right. and to have somebody like that come up and she learned how to fly fish it started a passion for her. glenn Stawaz. he started tying his own flies um and it just churns all these relationships i can pull up my phone and and uh, i bet you i've got probably over two three hundred contacts in my phone from veterans that i've been on events with that we still keep in contact and it always comes up the that Smith uh, River event, that fly fishing event in Montana, Glenn Stawaz, he's 82 years old, and he's like, you know what? I've never thought I'd have that interaction and that contact that I have with you guys. because, And you guys are different generations, fought in a different war. And, and again, it, it's always, all comes, stems out of being that in the outdoors and, and just being able to relax, that sense of adventure, who you're doing it with you whether it's your, your your family and your kids or your father or your buddies you know it, it all that's that you know whether someone got their leg blown off or has a banged up elbow or whatever yeah that's just obsolete it's okay this is we're going fishing and right. this is what we're going to do glenn Stawaz, uh you know mike sedgwick out there he ran the ranch him and dale uh, we we stayed at the back of him. He walked with a cane, and when he put the waders on, and he's out there fly fishing. Our our knee was right, literally right on his butt, oh, yeah. so he wouldn't fall over. And we're grabbing on, and it didn't matter if we threw a line at all. Just watching him catch fish and having a you know in in out in the mountains, right? And it, it made all the world. And so I've got ten Purple Heart veterans uh, with uh, coming into Ashtabula, part of the WWIA, and uh, the community down in Ashtabula, and it's down there everyone does it a little differently but our guys are coming in uh to the airport we pick them up the veteran services pick them up and meet them at the airport and that first night they get a tour around ashtabula and it's a guided tour by the state police the county sheriff the police and you've got vietnam vets that have never been formally welcomed home and thanked and i've been this is my fourth or fifth year on this event helping on this event and they uh it just, you know, there's Vietnam vets that are just crying, sobbing yeah. in the vehicle while we do a parade in and around town and seeing people come out and wave flags and, and yell thank you to them. And it's like, we, they never got this. 
But then even on the events, you're, you know, the big thing is I love campfires. You can learn a lot about life and about other people and about yourself around a campfire. And putting veterans around a campfire and, hey, the Vietnam vets, how did you get through this? Or different things that you have going on in your life that you're having a hard time getting o- over that, oh, yeah, this Vietnam vet had it or this World War II we had a 92-year-old World War vet down there. Yeah. And Korean War vets. And it just like, hey, you know, this guy turned had the same issues. And look how well this guy turned out. So it kind of gives you, like, again, goals. Where, where are we going from here? And it gives you hope. Yeah. So, yeah, so I have been doing that for about 12 years. Um, I've been a hunter safety instructor for 21 years, coming on 21 years. Uh, Farrier, we started up a Michigan UP Veterans Hockey Club, hmm. you know, and just been very, very fortunate to be involved in a lot of really cool stuff. Right. But it's all, you know, who you surround yourself with and your passions and, and, uh, like-minded people yeah right and i think it does go back to uh like a a serving mentality right like you said you're trying to help other people that you you've been through things how can i help these people but thinking about the uh again that the wounded warrior side has that been pretty powerful i mean it it has to be right just to see people come in and maybe not be like you said struggling with certain things or, or or just not working through things or yeah and then we're not even talking about it we're just going fishing or we're just going hunting, but just through that act and that camaraderie and whatever else. And you see that transformation in them. Is that pretty powerful? Uh, very much so. And I think a lot of it has to do with human instinct. Okay. Okay. So being an outdoorsman, you know, if, when you find yourself lost, what's the one thing that they tell you not to do? Yeah. Panic. Yeah. yeah not panic. Right. So what do you do? You sit down you make a fire. Right. Okay. And then you can kind of formulate a plan and, and you know, Hey, am I going to stay here? Or, hey, nobody has any idea where I'm at. It's poor planning. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, you know, all right, I got to make this happen myself because I got I to I gotta do something. But, uh, and for a lot of these warriors, that's what it's all about. It, it's, you know, they're, they're kind of lost in their life a little bit. You know, they're, they're someplace they haven't been. They're not sure how they fit in. But you go back to that basic human instinct, you know, of, you know, pro magnum man with a club and mm-hmm. a fire and oh, food, right. you know, your basics. And it kind of gets them back to the basics. It gives them something to look forward to. It gives them that adventure, but it also gives them uh, the camaraderie yeah. of other people out there. You know, hey, I've, uh, I've got mem- memory issues. Well, you know, I, I've seen this app and it's a free app and it helps studies show it helps uh stimulate some of the the nerves in your brain to help with that yeah the memory issues and it's like oh i didn't know that was available yeah you go here and i'll send you the link and yeah so it, it's veteran help and veteran but also veterans helping themselves and getting that passion getting that obsession getting that that sense of adventure back right and having something to look forward to that hey you know nobody really really wants to go to work but you know, in order to pay for that trip out west, or in order to pay for this, or you know, this is what I got to do to get it. So, mm-hmm. got to work, right? For sure. I've got one last question. Unless you've got anything else that we, I should have asked, or anything else that we didn't cover that you were open to talk about, or something that came up we didn't. Is there anything that came up that we should have that I should have asked you, or anything that you can think of? No, not that I can think of. It's just been enjoyable, and again, you know, it, it's we could have a campfire here you know and it's it's a matter of you know it's that bond that we share of being outdoorsmen yeah and that sense of adventure and just you know that that love of life and wanting to do stuff that you know i think it binds a lot of the outdoorsmen and women together and it's that passion that we instill in our kids and and our friends and our family and 
I think I think we're definitely on the right track, and yeah. at least for us and our family, it works great. So right, right. No, I, absolutely, I agree. But I, I wanted to ask you. You talked about like on your on your shooting and gun side of things, and maybe it's your engineering brain. You go to the tenth level on that, and that's again part of what this podcast is about. Is what takes you from the type of person who says, "Yeah, I like shooting. Let's go shoot on the weekends every once in a while," to the type that you're going way technical. Uh, and do you find that in other areas of your life? Like if you're getting into this kind of a hunting or this kind of fishing, you go to the 10th degree. Yeah. I, I think everybody wants to be good at what they do. Yeah. And, uh, in addition to being good at what they do, I, I want to help others learn it and, and be able to do mm-hmm. the same thing. Um, I created a, a gun site for, for blind people hmm. and it's called the French vis kind of like a, uh, a knockoff like hey you know you go to the bar and hey uh, French oh like the kiss you know right. I was like yeah I invented the French kiss yeah. but it's the French VIS and the VIS stands for visually impaired sighting system cool. and uh, one when I was uh, my brother Dan is blind and coming from a hunting family he never had that opportunity to go hunting like my dad and I did Yeah. and uh, so one day he's like well if dad I want to go hunting and it's like well we got to figure this out so we tried different lasers we tried a bunch of different things and long story short my dad's like yeah I don't know I says tell you what you you figure it out and in addition to be a farmer he was a tool and die maker okay. right at General Motors and he's like I'll I'll, I'll make it mm-hmm. and uh, so I designed it and I got the idea of basically if you think of uh, a professional catcher and then the umpire if you ever notice where that umpire's face it's right next to that catcher's ear so he can see everything yeah and so what this device does is it elevates and it recesses the rear aperture of the scope back to the person's eye and or to the spotter's eye so you've got a spotter right on the guy's shoulder the blind the visually impaired person's shoulder right and um so he basically sights the the rifle in the visually impaired person uh, he operates the rifle. He squeezes the trigger, everything, and the the spotter. If, he, if the guy's got to go left, uh, pat, taps left on the shoulder, right on the shoulder, top of the, and then when he's on target, uh, then he puts his hand flat on the back, and then the shooter knows. That, All right, take deep th- three deep breaths, relax, and squeeze that trigger. Yeah. And if the animal moves or the guy comes off or the shooter becomes off target, just pull the hand. Right. And uh, my brother Dan, he shot a buffalo at 261 yards out in South Dakota or Wyoming, Wheatland, Wyoming. Um, he shot a cow elk. He shot, he shot all kinds of stuff, you know. And so we got that device from my brother Dan. But coming through Walter Reed, I had a buddy out of Rhinelander, Wisconsin, that I uh, they thought he was going to lose both his eyes doing an IED, and he ended up losing one of his eyes. And he wanted to help fully vis- uh, visually impaired veterans get back and hmm. and there's so many veterans out there that we have nice firearm collections we like guns it's a passion of ours but now boom i don't i can't see what do i need these things for you know they're just objects well, mm-hmm. they weren't just objects to them before and this device will go the french visual anything with one inch scope rings hmm. you know whether it's a muzzle loader a crossbow a 22 it doesn't matter a shotgun it'll fit right on top and uh, so I started the foundation, the MA French Foundation. Uh, and what we do is we we make these things for combat wounded vets, get them free of charge. Right. And uh, if we're, they can send them, we'll send their firearm in, we'll put them on, we'll sight them in, or we send them directions. Um, and that took off to, you know, hey, there's a little six-year-old girl down in Tennessee, Kentucky, that uh, she's got a uh, eye disease. 
and uh, she she's missing uh, the rods in her eyes, and she's her parents, her mom works at Fort, Fort Knox. She said, well, you know, she loves going hunting with us, but she's getting sad because she realized she can't hunt. Mm-hmm. And will your device, you know, help her? I'm like, yeah, she'll be able to shoot. You know, does she have a 22? No, not yet. We're still we're not fortunate enough to be able to afford that yet. Mm-hmm. And by the way, how much does this cost? And it's like, so here you are you're in a position to be able to help somebody and better somebody's life and give them the same passion that you have in your life, if that makes sense. And uh, this is another testament to the community we live in. Uh, Jason, uh, down in Woodland, down in Barriga, it's like, hey, we'll, we'll sell you this 22. Our favorite color was pink. Yeah. So I made a pink French vis, uh, put it on a pink 22 rifle from Woodland that they give us to a cost. Uh, Lake Superior Design down in Launce, they're like, hey, I've got this pink hat, and that's where we get our apparel from, put our logos on. They slap that on. We've got a guy at Berger Telephone, hey, I've got a brand new hard case, give it to her. A woman over on the east end of the UP found out what we were doing, and she's like, well, hey, I'm going to put a steel target in there, Hmm. you know, because again it's things that you don't think about like when i took my brother dan we put it on an ar just to see if it would work and mm-hmm. i can put it on take it off and put my gun sight on or uh, my acog on I, we can inter interchange scopes and and but shooting steel for a blind person it's that audible thwack yeah. that that instantaneous you know confirmation and what they did was on point and just like the rest of us you know and so I mean, we sent this whole package down to this little girl in Kentucky. There you go. Merry Christmas for your charge. Unreal. You know, and obviously it was with the parents' consent and stuff like that. But it, it's just you're able to have that effect that you're like, like we talked about taking somebody out west for their first time and being that impact or providing that moment in time, that adventure that will last them a last a lifetime and provoked more adventure and that obsession and that's that's what it, it does for visually impaired people i've got over 178 of them all across the u.s huh. and i'll be i'm like the worst businessman ever it wasn't made to make money it was made to be self uh funding and uh i wrote the patent for it i got a patent uh and it just took off and hmm. you know when i retired my kids we make them in our basement you know massey manufacturing down in barriga does our milling peninsula fiber fiber uh Peninsula powder coating down in Berga does the powder coating for us, and we, my boys and I put them together in the basement. Hmm. So, yeah, simple as that. Right, that's awesome. Again, all goes back to that, just helping other people. Like you take the tools you have to help other people. So, it's, I guess it's fun to hear about. Just nice to, yeah. Again, obviously you're doing a lot of good things and giving back and helping in any way that you can. So, yeah, awesome to hear about, and yeah, awesome. Yeah, but again, it goes back to when I was, you know, the lowest point in my life when I was banged up. You know, I met uh, through Walt Reed. I met in the military. I met Jim Shockey. I met and got to go hunting with him. I got to go. I'm very good friends with Gordon Whittington. He used to be the editor-in-chief of North American Whitetail. Yeah. Yeah, I got to go on a hunt with him because uh, I was in uniform. He was in a camouflage jacket in the middle of Atlanta airport. And because we could tell we were both hunters, boom, we had that connection. And we became good friends, and we went on a hunt in Texas. Hmm. Um, but, uh, and, ah, God, Zumbo, Jim Zumbo. Yeah. I grew up reading his stuff in, in outdoor life, and, you know, all of a sudden here I get to meet him 
at a Bass Pro Shops in Maryland. I just wanted to, my buddy Derek and I wanted to get our picture taken. My wife was there at the time. And, uh, you know, so we he came in and he had the black hat and the black cowboy boots. And we were kind of intimidated. And it's, uh, no, he's, he had uh, from Zinc Calls, uh, all these, these producers of outdoor stuff there just kind of flocking around them. And it's like, nah, he's, he's got enough on his plate. And uh, I remember my wife looked at it. She goes, you two are the biggest bunch of pansies. Right. And she walked right up there, talked to his assistant. And then next you know, as we're hunting with Jim Zumbo, he was able to help my buddy Derek Van Buren that was injured with go up to Alaska because that was his life goal. That was on his bucket list. He helped him do that. And uh, every time we go to Wyoming, we go, go see Jim um, and we help each other out. And he's just a phenomenal guy. And you know, so all these people in our lives that, you know, the hunting industry, the Jim Zumbo, Jim Schrocky, Gordon Whittington, you know, they didn't have to be there for us, but they kind of helped pick things up and put things back together. Right. And all we're doing is right now in my life, we're just paying it forward. We're doing what people have done for, for myself and my family. So, yeah. Right. Well, again, I just keep going back to that. Just fun to hear about. And it's yeah. Humbling. And, and it gives me perspective to just, yeah be a giver right yeah right like you said pay it forward and, and do unto others as though you'd want like you said the golden rule and all that kind of stuff it's good good reminders and good things to think about but yeah john i really appreciate it thanks for hopping on hey no problem good luck uh out west this year and hopefully we'll see you out there and, yeah <laughs> and uh yeah again you know it's just a big great community outdoors community and you know doesn't matter what you hunt it's a passion that obsession that brings us all together yeah right absolutely so, so thank you for having me yeah thanks john Hey guys, thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have and you feel so inclined, share this podcast with your friends, subscribe to the podcast where if you listen and give us some feedback with a review. Until next time, thank you.